As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello friends, Ryan Bailey from the future here with a quick message about the podcast you're about to listen to. We discuss uh, Leonardo Spinazzola's injury in the Italy versus Belgium game and we were speculating about his fitness and we have found out it appears he has ruptured his Achilles tendon which will keep him out for many months. We're very sorry to hear that but just to clear that up uh, with the discussion we have and it makes me feel bad about some of the jokes I make. That's all, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show's Euro 2020 coverage. There was no Russian in Russia for Spain who narrowly avoided being slain by an impressive Switzerland who had the ghost of 2014 Tim Howard in goal for them. Jan Sommer <laughs> made 10 saves, which is a new record for a Euros match. And this game also broke the record for the only game to get worse during a penalty shootout. Meanwhile, in <laughs> Munich, Belgium felt some Azuri fury as the Red Devils' golden generation gave way to the Italian renaissance. Mancini got the better of the Roberto Derby as the Italian players celebrated a victory the best way they knew how by stripping to their tiny underpants on the field, as you do. Joining me today is a man whose watch is telling him to get up and walk around more during this tournament because he's oh. been sitting watching the TV for three weeks now. Taylor Rockwell! Yep. Hello! It's it's really frustrating, and I'm sure there's a way to just disable that, but then I'm concerned I will never, ever be physically active again. And I do like it when it rewards me for taking the dogs out and doing some level of exercise. But yeah, the three different times during that game when it told me to go for a walk, I couldn't really make that happen. The couple times it told me to breathe, I did appreciate, because it did generally correspond with when I was overly excited about something happening on the screen. Is this your fruit-based device? It is. It is my fruit-based device. I I wear a pair on my wrist. I I think I turned off the breathe notifications after a while because I think they made me more stressed uh, knowing (laughs) that I'd missed it. It's like Duolingo. I don't know if you use Duolingo, Taylor, but if you get to like 11 p.m. and it's like, you haven't done your Duolingo today. Dude, I got an email from Duolingo that just said you made Duo sad and it was like the owl crying. <laughs> it's like I don't need like Spanish guilt high school homework sort of situations here. Like I, I just let, let me learn the language as at the leisure that I want, please. <laughs> I wonder if um, Thomas Vermeilen's got an Apple Watch and how many times it went off during that game. 
I mean, I, I'm not sure. I think it also told him he probably needed to move, and I'm not sure he responded, <laughs> but that was definitely some of the notifications he would have been getting, for sure. Exactly. Uh, by the way, it's just the two of us on today's pod. Joe Lowry and Graham Rutherford are taking well-deserved rest today, so no needless mentions of Arizona's heat or Scotland in any form <laughs> whatsoever today, Taylor. <laughs> I feel sort of relieved that they're not here, not because I don't want them to be. It's always nice to have them both, but just that you and I have taken like a, a day or two, and it would it's nice that they get a little bit of time, though I think one is traveling and the other one is uh, doing other work, so they're both staying busy. Yeah, they're not actually resting in any no, way, which is reassuring for them, but they, they do deserve very much some, some days off from this uh, tournament, which has been relentless for us podcasters. I can only imagine how it is for Thomas of Ireland moving at several miles an hour yeah. in these games. Um, by the way, Taylor, I hope you were proud of me. I didn't make any Jan Sommer puns in my intro. They, that, that Jan Sommer puns seem to be the mood of Twitter today, and I avoided it. Are you proud of me? I am. I can't tell if that's because it's low-hanging summer fruit or if it's because you're setting me up to make a series of them later on. But either way, I'll be fine with it. Uh, I'm just, I am just sort of happy that Graham chose today to have to work a little bit later because I think Andy <laughs> Murray also uh, had, had a rough day. And I don't mm. know if Andy Murray having a rough day and then the looming prospect of England making it to a semifinal would be too much for him. So at least he gets a little bit of time to collect himself and regroup. Andy Murray is uh, from the same town as Graham Rutherford, and he is his spirit animal as well. So uh, we should we should certainly give Graham some time and respect, given uh, Murray's yeah. exit from SW19 today. But uh, I did have uh, some uh, puns written down, but I didn't want to spin you a yarn. Yarn. No, that was bad. I was trying to go some in a different direction, Taylor. I'm sorry. Uh, one more thing before we get into the games here, Taylor. We had extra time in the first one, Switzerland against yeah. Spain. I put out a tweet, which uh, I hope you back me on. And I said, if I'm FIFA president, when I'm FIFA president, excuse mm-hmm. me. When? Uh, extra time will be banned. 90-minute uh, tied games will go straight to penalties. When was the last time extra time was good in a game? Tell me. That's right. I, maybe It might have happened once this tournament, but that <laughs> I can't even remember that game tells you how many of the other games have not been great. I am still a big believer in if you're going to keep extra time. Yes, I know this is a terrible idea with how tired everybody is, with how many injuries we've already had. But in an ideal world, I love the idea of starting extra time and every five to ten minutes a player gets removed. So eventually Ooh. you're playing like 6v6 on a full field and somebody's got to make something happen and then the game ends. Old people like me remember Euro 96 having golden goal extra time uh, where yeah. the um, the Germans won against the Czech Republic in the final for a very underwhelming mistake goal. Um, yeah. So that was... It also underwhelming- has... It has the reverse effect, as I understand it, though, Golden Goal. Because I used to be a huge fan of Golden Goal until I think the statistics show that because both teams are aware that they can lose at any given moment, both teams get way more concerned and cautious and sit way more off. And you don't get as many fun games. You tend to get fluky, deflected goals and that sort of thing. Yeah, but uh, the, the worst the worst case for me is like the Sweden-Ukraine game the other day, Taylor, where we get to the 121st yeah. minute and get a goal and we've sat through the whole of extra time and we're not even rewarded with the penalties. That's uh, that's worst case scenario for me, which, yeah. which tells me a lot about my feelings about extra time in general, I think. Well, let me ask you this then, right? Do you like the idea of like they have to put it to social media? <laughs> the game ends and then it, it you have to, whatever the site is, it doesn't have to be Twitter. It can be anywhere. We can go to the FIFA site if they want to drive traffic there and get some sponsors for this and then we all vote does it go to penalties or does it go uh, to extra time based on how compelling the game has been what about that what if you had the choice I like that idea but if we did that no matter what the game was Arsenal would always win based on fan <laughs> votes 
Isn't that how the internet works? Somehow it would be Arsenal versus Atlanta United every single time. The the (laughs) two of them would win every single time. Exactamon, Tete. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why don't we move on to the action from today? We had a couple quarterfinals, uh, the first quarterfinals uh, of Euro 2020 slash 21. The first one being Switzerland against Spain in St. Petersburg. Uh, This one was 1-1 after full time, after extra time indeed, finishing 4-2 on penalties or 3-1 in the shootout. 3-1 in the shootout. Uh, we got to spare some some thoughts for Ruben Vargas after that shootout, Tete, for yeah. uh, those devastated images of him after he Sergio Ramos his penalty over the bar. This one was an odd game for me, Taylor. It wasn't. Yep. It wasn't a classic. Uh, I don't nope. think it was bad, but as I as nope. I said, it somehow did have bad moments, and certainly the shootout was a bad shootout. And it it felt like you know it came went in waves. Who was on top of this one? What what did you think about it? You're over your, your beginning thoughts. Your opening statement on this game, Tay Tay. My opening statement is pretty similar to what you've already said. I I didn't think it was a bad game. I think there's been a lot of negative coverage about this game, especially about Spain, and not even necessarily being critical of Spain, but it's the sort of age-old criticism of they're pass-heavy, they're possession-oriented, they don't create enough chances, they're not that entertaining. And and I think that that is generally unfair, but in this case, very unfair. Because I think their tactical approach made sense. They uh, started with uh, Ferran Torres and Sarabia out Mm -hmm. wide. They kept them out wide. They committed numbers forward. They had people stepping higher up the field. I think in the opening couple minutes, in the fourth minute, I had Spain with possession. Every single outfield player was within 35 yards of goal. And when they got into a position where they could cross the ball, they had four bodies in the box, which is a thing we haven't seen from them. So we saw Spain trying to create. And I think it was important to note that because as the game went on, every single time, like all... I would say literally, but I I don't want to be incorrect, but I'll say literally. Like every time I started to get bored and think like, oh, Spain or Spain, they possess so much, there would be a quick passing sequence and there would be a half chance or a shot that would be blocked for a goal kick. And then an extra time, it was a lot of saves from summer. But I, I thought Spain did create chances and did do some really smart things. I think Switzerland set up pretty intelligently to defend against what Spain wanted to do. Switzerland did some things I think that weren't expected. And so I think it's even more credit to Spain for adjusting and still finding a way to get the result. Yeah, definitely. And um, your comments there, Taylor, is particularly about putting bodies in the box. Uh, Lucio Enrique, before the game, his quote was, whichever team achieves the task of beating the others, press, because we'll both play that way. That's important. Whoever's more decisive in the opposition penalty area will have the bigger options. And I could certainly see there was more concerted effort for Spain to be uh, more, more attacking and more in the opponent and trying to beat the press. But for large parts of this game, I thought this was the worst Spain performance we've seen of this tournament. Lots of little errors going on. I mean, they settled quite well early on, but... It was very slow, and I'm an England fan, so I can't be criticised boring defensive style of play necessarily. Mm. But it wasn't; it didn't capture the imagination no. from the outset. This one, and just it just seemed like they were lacking confidence, not great at the back, a bit toothless up front, and that that midfield shines like it has done previously, hasn't it? With with um, yeah. with Pedri, with, with with Busquets, and 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 Rodri later on in there as well. It, it seemed like that that's the heart of this team, quite literally. But but um. <laughs> Well, let me let me say this. 
Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. And I think, like, you saying that helps me to get my head around this game. Because in contrast to the later game, the uh, Belgium-Italy game, which we're obviously going to talk about, that was much more end-to-end and had these kind of big, high-profile moments. I think Switzerland-Spain defied that a little bit more. And it was much more, you'd have these kind of flare-up half-incidents, but you didn't get a ton of clear-cut chances. I think a big reason for that is Spain going ahead in the eighth minute. That is definitive what Spain want to do is score early, possess, make the the team they're playing sort of have to step out, have to be a bit more open, and then ideally punish them for that. But I think to Switzerland's credit, they didn't really do that. And so you kept having this game that threatened to kick into that next gear, but never quite did. And again, that's not saying it was a bad game. It's just a game that sort of makes it then harder to be like, Spain were dominant, but then the Swiss made this change, and then they were dominant, and then we went at to extra time. Like, you don't have those big swings. It was a pretty, like, straightforward game from beginning to end, even with all the chaos that did happen. All right, Taylor, is it time for the Murata conversation? Um, Sure. How did you feel he went in this one? Because once again, I found him pretty unconvincing. I feel like I I, I put him in that Timo Werner bucket of disappoints me constantly. Mm -hmm. And Jerome Moreno wasn't much better in many ways. How did you feel about it? No, I didn't think he was either. This, like... This is a weird way to explain it, but uh, obviously, obviously, uh, Imeric Laporte was eligible to play for France and is now playing for Spain. If Olivier Giroud had somehow been eligible to play for this Spain team, I think they absolutely would have taken him. And I think he is sort of the type of player they needed in this moment is someone who just can do the basic stuff and create some chances and ideally get a goal. But most of the Spanish attack today, I thought, was... Again, not necessarily unimpressive, but you didn't have that, like, this player is just sort of becoming the key player. They're going to get a goal. They're going to make something happen. And instead, what we had was a lot of players getting into positions and getting into moments, but not being able to take them cleanly. Ferran Torres has a chance. Sarabia has a chance in the first half. Um... Denny Omo, when he comes on, has several. Same, same for Avar Morata, and then especially in extra time, Moreno has a few. And that's just the kind of front four or five that we saw. But lots of other Spanish players, I think, started getting these half chances, some full chances, but all of them end up being saved or being blocked out. And that's a credit to the Swiss and, again, to Summer for making some amazing saves. But I think also there were moments when you could just see the Spanish player get a chance and that flash of a thought of, don't mess this up. <laughs> like, oh, you're going to be in trouble if you don't score this. And that is just never the thought you want to have when you are getting the ball in a shooting position because I'm a big believer in the idea that if you're s- saying to yourself, don't make a mistake as you're preparing to do something, what your brain hears is worry about that mistake, you're going to make that mistake, and then you make that mistake. <laughs> Definitely. And obviously, as you say, Taylor, we've got to give the Swiss backline full credit here. For uh, Kanji, I thought was great. Avedi was great. Uh, Ricardo Rodriguez had a really good game. Mm-hmm. Jan Sommer, quite obviously, with his billion yeah. saves, uh, was was excellent too. And the way I saw this was that Spain, you know, kind of did their sterile domination from the outset. And then we saw in the second half, Switzerland really kind of switch it, switch it on and, and give them concern. And then when we got to extra time, it was Spain, you know, piling it on once again. But... I, I went back and looked at my notes from the previews because I previewed Switzerland for here. And I think a lot of the stuff we saw here is a lot of the stuff we saw in that um, United States friendly, which feels yep. like it was three or four years ago now, but it, it was really like does. a matter of weeks ago. 
you know, th this is a team that can press high out of possession, as, which is something that Enrique was uh, fully aware of. You know, they've got plenty of pace and power. They like to counter. They've got the fullbacks who like to push up as well. It just seems like they were so really well drilled as mm -hmm. well. Their positioning was really good and very, very disciplined. And, and not only having that discipline to stay sol solid in the back, but creating stuff, creating stuff, getting forward as well and yeah. having that press and not being scared to press against a team like Spain. I thought that was very, very impressive. And it's all the more impressive, Taylor, they don't have Granite Xhaka in this team, who's, you know, a, yep. a pretty important player in this team because of yellow card accumulation. And Brian Bolo going out pretty early. Uh, it was a hamstring, I think, wasn't it, as well? So yeah. they, they're, they're without key players here and they still put in a pretty heroic and disciplined performance. Yeah, and, and I think the Embolo uh, substitution has two, like, pretty severe ramifications. The first is obviously just that he is uh, a, a very potent goal threat. He is also very strong, so can hold the ball up and can combine with Seferovic so they can kind of rotate who is the one holding the ball up. But he's also just going to attract attention. He's a player that, that Spain had to worry about and would have had to worry about throughout and probably would have had to double-team at times. And when he goes out in the 20th minute... That concern is significantly reduced, obviously. You don't need to double-team him if he's been subbed out due to injury. But also, I think the Swiss, as I said earlier, changed some, thing some things up in their approach. And I think Embolo's positioning was fundamental to that. And so once he moves out, now you've got another question to deal with. Because though we have seen the Swiss kind of consistently in a back five, back three, but really a back five, in this game, more often than not, I saw them in a version of a back four, routinely in a 4-2-3-1, with Zuber their left wing back, basically becoming a left winger, and that allowed them to attack down the left side. It mm. basically made Spain move away from Jordi Alba's side. They couldn't really as swiftly counterattack down that. That's been a trend of at least this tournament, maybe soccer in general, but this tournament it feels like when teams identify the stronger attacking side for their opponent, they try to attack down the opposite side. And here, I think that was the Swiss game plan, was to have Zuba further forward more consistently to make Spain uncomfortable with that back line and with committing numbers far forward so that then the attack did sort of get stuck in neutral. Uh, no Swiss puns intended there, but with Embolo coming out, they had to adjust it again. And I think they tried to keep that shape roughly in the four two three one, but I think it was less smooth than it would have been for a player who had been practicing in that starting 11, performing that role. Definitely, yeah. And, uh, and I thought also Seferovic deserves a shout-out because he, 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 I think the commentator said he's put in a shift today. He was getting back. I think he had a really important defensive block from a Ferran Torres volley uh, late on as well. So I was, I was impressed with him, certainly, in, in this game. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, one of the more impressive things, Taylor, as well, is this Swiss team went over 40 minutes with 10 men and still yep. very much held their own, still very much stayed in this game. Should we have a little chat about the red card? It was uh, Remo Freuler going in uh, yeah. with... Uh, I don't. Do you call it studs up? How would you describe that challenge? I would not. Now, like I, I, I think this one is more debatable than some of the other ones we've discussed recently. I think the, the telling thing for me was that the studs contact was with the trailing leg, and in some ways, for me at least, that makes it not as severe because it's not like he was going in two footed studs up into the shin or the calf or something like that. But I also think if you are an official making this decision and thinking he was out of control, it was reckless, it was dangerous, it's a red, if your like, non-lead foot 
the studs of that foot make contact with the player, then there's an argument that, like, yeah, you couldn't avoid making that contact with the unintended foot, so you were out of control, so it is a red. But I think where I end up on it is that I think the official... uh, Was it Michael Oliver for this one? Yes. I think he thought that challenge was worse than it was. And he had a good angle on it, but the way I will say the intensity that Furler goes in for it in the moment, watching it live, I thought that's going to be a red card. From the like the wide camera angle, you just can tell he's going in, he wants to make a statement with this tackle. It had been getting a little bit scrappy, and I think Michael Oliver felt like it had been getting scrappy as well, saw that challenge and thought that's a red card. And as Mark Clattenberg said when discussing it for ESPN... It's debatable, maybe it's harsh, but again, if it's given on the field, it's going to be tough for it to be overturned when there is enough contact to justify it. Well, that's a key in a decision like that for me, Taylor, because he could have given a yellow card and gone to the screen or have it reviewed, Yeah, right? Is that how it works? I think yep. that's how it works. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that, to me, that's a good point. Str- I read there, like, for me, there's a genuine attempt to make contact with the ball there. And it, I know intent isn't part of the equation, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, but it didn't feel like a dangerous lunge to me necessarily and it was a training foot as you say so I feel like there could have been if if a yellow was given on the field I don't think it would have been upgraded is that fair? Yes, I think so. I will say though that like I, I with the the incident we we had recently, uh, like I I was more in the like I can see what was happening there. I can see the evolution of the play. Graham convinced me that it should have been a red card. Yeah. Uh but I think that what was that Ukraine versus who got knocked out there? Uh, Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. Uh, Danielson with the challenge. Yeah, yes. uh, I, I felt like because he wasn't going for the tackle, he was trying to clear. I thought maybe it was harsh in the moment. Graham kind of talked me into that one. So I just mentioned that here to say that, like, I would say, yeah, this probably could have been a yellow card. But maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe if Graham were here, he would be yelling at me for being a fool. And while we're talking about yellow cards, Jack are missing out on this one. I don't know how I feel about the the way yellow cards, uh, you know, the accumula- yeah. accumulation rule in the knockout stages. I think if you get to the semi, now you're in your semis, you, it doesn't a yellow card doesn't wipe out, keep you out of the final. Like it's a, it's a clean slate again, isn't it? So you can basically go pretty gung ho in the semi final, but the quarterfinals or bef- or the round of sixteen, don't you dare. It's kind of an <laughs> odd odd situation. Yeah, yeah, it it it, and it makes it just like like a, a a bummer at times like I forget who it was who kicked a ball away oh it was Gavranovic for Switzerland who like he comes in he just like kicks the ball away he knows what he's doing he's trying to kill time and I think he immediately recognizes like I'm probably going to get a yellow for this one but that would have meant that he was suspended for the next game and just that sort of like I can see a player not even losing their head but just in the moment being like this is what you would do if the situation were reset you'd tap that ball away you don't want them to retaking the set piece as quickly as they can or taking the set piece as quickly as they can Mm. but then yeah because you've got that one earlier now you have it uh doubling up and now you've got the suspension so i'm with you ryan i'm okay with it not being punished quite as strong thanks buddy yeah man penalty shootout time yeah uh Mm -hmm. not the highest quality this wasn't exactly europa league final where they couldn't stop scoring this was yeah uh, and seeing how good the swiss were at penalties against france seeing how good jan sommer had been little bit of a disappointment mm-hmm. they didn't quite show up here and you've got to feel for, for Vargas obviously putting it over the bar the most impressive thing for me though Taylor was Efren Okoku on Kokoms mm-hmm. who as the winning penalty it was uh, Oyazaba um, with, the, with the winning penalty Okoku went it's going to the goalkeeper's left that's exactly yep. what happened I was like it that's, is. A, that's a cocky move for the commentator <laughs> isn't it 
It is. It's one of those things. And credit to him for not celebrating it. But sometimes you'll get those. Like they're just saying it. I'll do that sometimes. Like, oh, he's definitely going to the right. And then he goes the other way. And and I guess he did. He did say to the goalkeeper's left, I think. But I always enjoy every now and then a commentator will just be like, he's going left. And it's like, to who's left? Because I feel like you've covered covered some bases there, depending on which which way the, the player goes. Yeah. Uh, but I thought I thought this was interesting going into it and then interesting in a different way coming out of it because going into it as I mentioned Spain I think had attackers in good positions and good shooting chances and it's telling that their only goal in this one comes from uh, Jordi Alba hitting a deflected ball that had bounced to him like outside of the box that goes in and aside from that there are chances, there are half chances, there are quarter chances, but none of them are taken that well, I felt like. And certainly, again, Summer is part of that. But I think heading into the penalties, I was convinced that you were going to have, say, Danny Olmo not take a penalty. I didn't think Moreno would take one no. because they, they had not been as inspiring in front of goal. And I could see them overthinking it, being like, okay, now's my chance to make up. And again, when you're thinking those types of thoughts, I don't know if it's always positive. And really, the three players that I would have been most suspect about if I were a Spain fan are the three who made theirs. And it's Busquets and Rodri, who I thought would be sort of calm, those present fixtures in the middle who don't get dispossessed, who don't lose the ball. They're the two who missed. And for Busquets, I noticed he was standing there waiting to take it for a long, long time. Solmer is talking to the official. He walks over. The official chats with him. And it's a good couple minutes of Busquets sitting there and I do think maybe that gave him the opportunity to overthink it a little bit and maybe that's why he missed and then I have some thoughts on the Swiss but I don't want to go too long on too long of a monologue Uh, I want to hear these thoughts on the Swiss go on so I, I also think I'm with you that I thought based on the way they took their penalties in the last round they're going to be okay and Looking at it again, I think like Gavranovic uh, basically steps up and goes to the exact same spot. Uh, I think Akanji does the exact same thing as well. It's like the exact same position where they where they hit those shots. Um, and uh, uh, Lopez, Unai Lopez, guesses wrong for Gavranovic, but absolutely guesses right for Akanji. And I think from that point kind of is going to go with wherever they hit it the first time is where they're going to go again. Uh, Shar would be the only one who doesn't do that, mm-hmm. doesn't uh, follow that trend. But Vargas even hits it to the same side and kind of the same position he was aiming, I think, against the Swedes. And in that one, or excuse me, against uh, France. And in that game, uh, Hugo Lloris gets a hand to his penalty, but it's hit with such power that it still goes in. And I wonder if that's kind of what happened here, that Vargas is going for the same general area and the same amount of power. This time he just gets under it instead of hitting it cleanly. And because he's relying on power, he skies it. So I think that there were things that happened in the last shootout that rather than being a motivator and an encourager, I think kind of got into some of the players' heads on the day. And I do think that's part of the reason why they missed some of these chances. And that cross-referencing of prior shootouts, Tate, is why you do penalty diagrams. <laughs> uh, you are not wrong, my friend, because I was <laughs> I like folded my notebook such that I could see what the what the Swiss had done last time, and then I could sort of check back and forth and see what was happening. And for the most part, they stuck to what they had done, all, all except for Shar stuck to the kind of same positioning, roughly. You folded your notebook. Will you give yourself forty lashes later for uh, for disturbing the the plane of the paper? I mean, I didn't fold it, fold it. I rolled it. I I really Uh, am. Like, I am not OCD. I'm really not. I know it probably sounds like I am because if you saw how, like, kind of like 
messy I tend to be, but with my notes and with paper, like I've never, even when I was a little kid, I couldn't handle like crinkled paper trying to draw on it. It had to be like a nice, fresh piece of paper, which I don't know, is probably me just being spoiled and something. But I do, I do like, I, I do like that. And if I like spill water on something, I can't write on that piece of paper. Get out of here. Okay, uh, so Spain are in the uh, semifinals. <laughs> They're going to be facing Italy at Wednesday on Tuesday. <laughs> one last one last note on this game. A, mm. a general point about Spain, Taylor. Is it a bit wild that they are in the final four of this tournament? They weren't wonderful in the group stage. I mean, they battered Slovakia, but weren't amazing yeah. otherwise, and were quite frustrating for the other two games. They blew. They 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 took. They went to extra time in Croatia after blowing a three-one lead. They've looked a bit sloppy, not looked great up top, looked questionable in the back. And now they're in the final four. Does that, what kind of goal would allow that, Taylor? <laughs> I mean, I think one who likes consistency. And though Spain have been up and down, as you've said, I think they've continued to find the necessary step to win. I think that you see elements of harmony in that team the same thing you see from Italy and did not see from France that when there's a, a chance that goes just wide for Italy I felt like the the teammates were picking each other up and and the same went for Spain that you didn't you'd still see the frustrated like gestures of hey you should have passed me that ball but I didn't see as much of that as much negativity I felt like there was a kind of co- commonality to the team a common approach a common belief and I think it'll be very interesting to see their next game against Italy which we're going to talk about Italy's win i'm sure in just a moment but those two teams i think we're gonna have a strong idea of which which team really is the kind of consistent potential juggernaut and which team uh is not which i guess is my way of saying that i'm leading italy after today's games yes and you're not the only one taylor we shall talk about italy against belgium after these here messages stick around looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, we are back. It's time to talk Belgium against Italy. This one in Munich, a meeting of the Martinez's, uh, hmm. finishing 2-1 to Italy. Taylor, great fun from the outset is sort of the headline I would give this yep. one. Two big inform sides meeting in a blockbuster game in the knockout stages, had the ingredients and it delivered. Yeah, I, I have places to go once we're done recording. I have a very like busy evening ahead of me, and I was hoping this went to extra time because it was just such a fun game. Like, really, from the opening couple minutes, normally with this tournament, we'll have 
ebbs and flows and it'll, you'll be able to sort of like, all right, now I'm going to like slow down and do some other things or like take, like catch up on notes or whatever. Uh, I usually draw the starting 11s in those opening moments. And I really, I didn't think I didn't do that till halftime because it was just from the outset. It was back and forth. There was like probing for vulnerability. There were blistering counterattacks. There was quick possession and quick moving. There was high pressing on both sides. And I thought it was just really, really captivating uh, and had a lot of interesting narratives along the way. Uh, sidebar, what are we doing tonight? What's happening? You've got a lot on. Uh, uh, mother-in-law's 70th birthday combined oh, with leaving at like 5 a.m. tomorrow for a, a, a road trip. So between those two things and having to pack for a baby, which it turns out didn't learn this until our last trip, that uh, that requires more effort than it used to packing a car. Are you saying mother-in-law's 70th birthday goes right around till 5 a.m.? Is it that kind of? I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a hoot nanny. It's a right hoot nanny. <laughs> Italy, anyway. Uh, they they were <laughs> impressive here. Uh, they did stick with Verratti over Locatelli, and that one seemed to pay off. Uh, Verratti uh, certainly doing d- doing Verratti things in this game. Um, you know, it was free-flowing from them. Very beautiful, as you'd expect. Very entertaining. The second goal, I thought, was stunning the way it was built from the back as well. All these sort of passing triangles. It was kind of 80s Liverpool pass and move. That's the Liverpool groove. I kind of got a little bit of that. And when we had Verratti and uh, Spinozola sort of combining for things, that was really nice as well. Just a lot of, re- not just a, a, a good team performance, but a lot mm-hmm. of really good individual performances as well, Taylor. And I thought it was a shame for Spinozola, who seemed to have yeah. the game of all games, you know, you know, uh, blocking a Lukaku shot that would have certainly caused trouble for Italy. Uh, almost scoring mm. an absolute stunner. I think he got on the end of a... Was it a Verratti pass? Someone someone put him in on goal. And then going off on a stretcher. That's the full gambit. Yeah, I feel very, very sad for him. And mm. it is it, it is pretty close there. I think it's yeah, the 66th minute he's in on goal. The 76th is when he's subbed off. Mm. I think it's him trying to make a play on a ball. He loses his footing. And I think when you're at full speed... Your body sort of has an understanding of of right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. Like it expects to know where each each foot is going to come down. And when you have that just little bit of loss of footing and you have to adjust your body for that, if you're at full speed, it's harder to do. And then you are going to kind of strain a muscle or, or like overuse a muscle, overstretch it in trying to correct for that slight slippage. And I think that is where that pull comes from. I hope it's not that severe. But I think it's very unlikely, even if it's a minor thing, that he's able to go quickly for their next game. I really hope I'm wrong. And maybe it was just like the pre-tear or the pre-pull. And so he Mm. felt it starting to go. But the way he gets up and immediately calls for a substitution has me thinking that they're going to have to have some other ideas for how to attack, especially down that left-hand side. And that's not a thing they've had to do so far. But Roberto Mancini has proven that he can kind of figure some things out and get everybody to stay on board, even as he's bringing in new people. So maybe they'll be able to deal with it. Maybe Spinazzola will be back. But I'll say even then we saw the discipline of Italy because Spinazzola gets up and uh, Brian Cristante came over to check on him and kind of has a word, is is encouraging him. And I thought, like, oh, what a good teammate. Like, you know, they must have, like, a, a strong friendship or something. And then Cristante whispers something in his ear. There's a moment of recognition. And then they, he slowly puts Spinazzola back on the ground. And the important thing here, and the, the reason why the Belgian fans immediately started booing, is because Spinazzola absolutely could have walked off to get treatment. And then the medical team doesn't have to go on the field. But because he sits back down <laughs> on the field, now play has to stop and wait for him to get up and walk off. And maybe you kill five minutes there, and maybe some of those get back added back on but 
given that I think there were five minutes of extra time in this game, I'm going to guess not all of them made it back into the clock. Um, I think I know what happened when Cristante whispered to um, uh, Spinazzola. He, he sort of leant over and said, hey, uh, we've got to play for Jose Mourinho next season. Just, you know, <laughs> stay on the ground, stay injured for a couple of months. <laughs> He's going to sap all the creativity out of you. Don't do it. It's like you know. It's like you know you're going to be in trouble when you get home. So you're just trying to push <laughs> push the party as long as you can. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see exactly. that. <laughs> but it, but it's a shame. We do hope he comes back uh, for, yeah. for the next one because he has been. He's had a massive tournament, hasn't he? Yeah. And uh, someone else who's been impressive, Insigne as well, uh, the other Lorenzo, who's uh, just oh my goodness. you know the one who's he, what he was dropped for the World Cup, the unsuccessful World Cup cycle, I believe. And just yeah. look at him here. He was going at double speed. Incredible. Yeah, he's turned it around a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I think for what the World Cup that they didn't qualify, you mean he was dropped for? Yeah. Yeah, campaign, I mean, I, th- right? I think he was definitely not. Yeah, I think he was definitely not as involved in qualifying. And you see the error of that way here because even with it being a player, it's like Aryan Robin, a player that you know what he wants to do, you know what he's going to try to do, and he tries to do the cut inside and uh, shoot wide. Or shoot on goal, obviously. He ends up shooting wide, but he does that early in this game. And it was, and I, I tweeted at the time, like, like it's defenders always bite on it. And I don't know why. You know what he's going to do. And it's not like at the amateur level where a one footed player is truly one footed. If they only use that right foot, then you can basically defend for them only to be on their right foot. But Insigne, you know, is just so much better at shooting with that right foot. I don't know why anybody ever lets him cut back onto it. Maybe he's just that tricky. But that did seem like he was kind of setting up Belgium, or maybe they were just like less inclined to defend him aggressively. They wanted to sit off a little bit, so they didn't get caught biting. But instead, they gave him the space to be able to shoot to get that second goal. Mm. And that's after he fainted and cut by uh, Yuri Tielemans. So it was basically him doing the two things he's always going to do in that sequence. And Belgium, once again, not really learning how to defend it. That was a wonderful goal. Maybe we should talk about Belgium and their lack of defending. Oh, yeah. but, but let's talk about the centre-backs, by the way, because the combined Benucci and Chiellini, 70 years combined. Mm. But Tonga, Vermeer and Alderweireld, they're, they're well into the 90s. No, they yeah. must be in the hundreds. Uh, so so well, how much did that affect Belgium? They did look a little bit slow up yeah. the back. They seemed to let Italy have as much time in the midfield as they wanted. And it was a lot of... I don't know, yeah. a lot of direct balls, hopeless direct balls to Lukaku. I, I, I texted in the middle of this, uh, the middle of the first half that Belgium didn't look up for this. And maybe that mm-hmm. was a bit short-sighted and a bit premature, but I did get that vibe from the early, from the outset, Taylor. It, it reminds me of, I'm going back to like my, my playing days, when the coach would say, like, hey, their goalie's short. You should shoot as much as you can. <laughs> and, and like that was the big instruction of like, oh, the keeper is short. And there were times when you would think like, yeah, we should be shooting. And that would make you rush because you'd be so inclined to like, oh, it's on. If we get some chances, we should be able to score. So then everybody is maybe like overly focused on taking low percentage shots. And that, to some extent, plays into the other team's hands. And here it felt like Belgium sort of did the same thing. Obviously not with the height of the goalkeeper involved, but with looking at that back line and then comparing it to Doku, who starts the game, to Lukaku, who can obviously play on the break, for Kevin De Bruyne, who can play through a break, but also play balls uh, in behind. I think there was so much focus on we can make something happen because that back line is older and slower that I think Belgium were almost overly reliant and looked to do that too early and too often. I think the the final player heat map shows you just how much that was, that you had Doku and Lukaku very isolated pretty routinely in the rest of the Belgian team sitting deeper. And I think that disconnect was... 
a big issue and a big reason why Belgium maybe were not as good at stepping and causing problems for Italy when they were trying to possess. Uh, at one point in the second half, uh, Belgium have sort of done a good job of containing Italy. They've, they've shut down options, so they forced them over to one side. They're doing the lateral press. And that only works if everybody is kind of alive to what's happening. And Italy kept sending uh, Spinazzola when he was in and then whoever replaced him or at least somebody out wide on the opposite side, on the weak side. And Belgium would have that right wing back who was supposed to be there, maybe concerned about the counterattacking threat or what it might be, but usually it was Mounier dropping all the way back to make a back four and a back five. Mm. But if you're Belgium and everybody's pressing and stepping and cutting off options, but then you can just, if you're Italy, ping a ball from the right side to the left side to a player who is 30 yards open, you've completely played your way out of that press and completely nullified what Belgium were trying to do. And in that moment, Kevin De Bruyne turns and just like throws his hands up. And this is in like the 82nd minute or something like that. Like they should still be up for it. And that was kind of the moment where it felt like they're not going to be able to do this because Italy just keep evading every single Belgian wave of pressure. Uh, Taylor, I've got a prediction. I want you to make a prediction for me. You ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow morning, if you type Jeremy Doku into Google and you press the yeah. news tab, how many stories will be from tabloids linking into Premier League teams? It depends on how much the English media were paying attention to this game because that's the big uh, one that tends to happen. I think with England, I'll say this, if England were already out, it would be way more because he would be the impact player who everybody's hyped about now and you got to get those headlines. I don't think it will be as many, but I think we're still going to get the the big kind of usual suspects linked with moves for him, or they've been scouting him for a while, which yeah. is probably true, because everybody's been scouting him for a while, because he's been known to be very good and very fast and very young, and I would definitely expect him to get some big money offers and a lot of rumors tomorrow. I think you're quite right there. Uh, if the, if England weren't playing on, on Saturday, Taylor, I think I, I would pitch a number about eight to ten articles yep. about him. Yep. However, now all those journalists are going to be writing about what Mason Mount's favorite color is. That so, is correct. Um, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're going to be... And bit... we need to know that. We need to know that. It's important information for mm. us to know if we want to cover this game properly. It's blue, probably. <laughs> oh, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> Um, I hope um, Doku doesn't get into any legal trouble, by the way. I wouldn't want anyone to sue Doku. <laughs> yeah, does that work? <laughs> that would work. That was a good one. That Thanks. was a good one. I didn't see it coming. Anytime I don't see it coming and, and then it's there, I enjoy it immensely. So I like either you sigh and groan or, you, or I get a little giggle. Um, I, I, like, this, I like both. I like both reactions. See, this is the age-old problem with puns, though, is that... Some, if they're very clever, like you are very good in the introductions, Ryan, of doing puns that are funny enough to actually make me laugh out loud. And then there are puns that are just horrific, and that necessitates the like, oh, no, sort of response. (laughs) But for the most part, a pun is just like, oh, yeah, that was pretty funny. But that doesn't translate on a podcast because I can't like like nod knowingly while smiling. No one's picking that one up. So that it's it's a hard one to go with. But Ryan, I think you deal with it well by making your puns uh, consistently pretty funny. Consistently awful. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, any more on this game, Taylor? I, I suppose my overarching question is about the golden yep. generation here for Belgium. Mm-hmm. This, this as previous tournaments was, you know, their last shot, and this does kind of feel like the last shot, particularly for that back line. Yeah. Um, and there was a narrative. I think Derek Ray on was it Derek Ray on this game? No, it was. Uh, it wasn't. But uh, the, the, it was brought up. Um, whether uh, this, this was the John Champion, I believe. Correct, it was John Champion. Excuse me. Um, whether this was the end of that generation and the start of the Italian generation, sort of we're, we're, a handing over of the baton, if you will. How do you feel about that? 
I mean, I think that that is a narrative that will probably happen. I think you've already sort of made the point that both backlines pretty old, uh, at least both or all the center backs pretty old. And it is the, like Belgium have played. I think last Euros they played with four across the back and all four were center backs. They changed that for the World Cup, but that's not that surprising. I do think we will have a significant number of this team move on. But, you know, as we've already talked about, Jeremy Doku, very young. Romelu Lukaku, still very, very good and also decently young himself. Kevin De Bruyne can do Kevin De Bruyne things for a very long time. Mm. Torgan Hazard is young enough, so too is Yuri Tielemans. And then they've got tons of talent coming through. So Belgium will be fine, but I think it is this sort of like generation that first brought Belgium back to the forefront for a lot of people. It is it is probably the last hurrah for them, but I think Belgium are now sort of back in that level of they're going to keep having a ton of talent coming through. So it feels like it will just be like one golden period, and hopefully they win some sort of silverware so then that uh, title is justified. This game for me, Taylor, shows you what fine mm. lines there are in narrative, yep. in things when we talk oh, yeah. about golden generations. Because, you know, if, if Spinozola's butt wasn't in the way, this game would have hmm. gone very differently. Lukaku yep. could have had several goals, in fact, in oh, the yeah. second half. So the the way with narrative is, you know, it's all it's on the toss of a coin almost, isn't it, when you talk about these things? So it, it is mm. interesting, but it certainly is Italy who are progressing on to the semifinals yeah. in this tournament. And Belgium, who are my pick, are going home. Boo-hoo. Uh, Ryan, two very, ideally very quick, but probably not, but I'll try, uh, <laughs> things about this game. One, I just wanted to note, Italy would be very good in CONCACAF. They would be able to handle the CONCACAF because oh they did. Uh, after, like, the 85th minute, the poop housing was amazing. Oh. The time-wasting was world-class, Taylor. You were absolutely right. Oh, it was so well done. And it was that level of, like, there weren't those obvious kicking the ball away, getting a yellow. It was just the way they stood over. I guess Berardi infringes on the free kick. But even those moments are just smart. And then he's aware of things because later on in, like, the 92nd minute, there's a stoppage. The ball rolls to him. And you can see him wind up to pass the ball away. And then remember, I'm on a yellow card. And he steps over the ball and keeps walking. So, like, still wastes a little bit of time but doesn't get himself a card. So I thought that was pretty clever. I also think... This was maybe the second or third time uh, the 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 opening goal for Italy. It's uh, it's good work from Barella. I don't want to take anything away from him, and he's able to get uh, away from. I think it was from Malin and uh, Torgan Hazard, but. It, it was telling to me that it was two defenders there and he's able to cut between them and sort of make them uh, uncomfortable. And mm. we've seen that a few different times in this tournament. And there is certainly the argument of like, yeah, that's what we've already talked about with defenders, maybe standing off a little bit. They don't want to get cut. They don't want to get beat. And I certainly that is part of it. But I think a larger thing is that I, I, I believe this, like, like that VAR has made defenders a little bit more nervous. And this is not an anti-VAR rant. This is not me saying it's changed the game. But I think there, there's no margin for error anymore because any contact, any little clip that would have in the past been like, yeah, it was incidental. Uh, the referee didn't see that one. Maybe that should have been given. Now it's going to be looked at and it might be given. And I think there have been enough of those moments that defenders, you can just see that moment of like, oh, I'm not getting close to this guy. Like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't do anything. You can just see more of that. And I think it also then lends itself to if two players are running at a player who's on the ball and neither one neither one wants to concede a penalty they both I think will have that diffusion of responsibility and maybe just be less fully committed to winning the ball come what may because oftentimes that can then lead to a penalty so instead you get half challenges that a good attacker can get through and then score and that is my explanation for the first goal but also for a number of different moments in this tournament Uh, I was told these last two points will be quick 
<laughs> I'm done now. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Taylor. Yeah, but, but your points are very well taken. And Thomas Milan, by the way, a lovely gift, a parting gift he gave for that first goal. Very Ugh. much failing to clear his lines. And Torquemars are not covering himself in glory for that one no. either. But Belgium, they are going home. Uh, and it is Italy who are going through to the semi-final at Wembley Stadium. They will face Spain on Tuesday. After these short messages, we're going to talk a little bit about that game and the games on Saturday. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. Taylor, we have a semi-final booked already. Spain against Italy, the most played fixture at the Euros ever. I recall in 2012 when Spain handed it to Italy. I'm not so sure it's going to be as top-heavy as that one. How do you feel about that game? I can't help wondering that I'd I'd rather watch Switzerland against Italy, if I'm honest. I, maybe maybe like a fully fit raring to go Switzerland, but they would have had Freuler suspended and they would have had Gavranovic suspended. Shaka would have been back. But I, I don't know if, if that version of Switzerland and a much more tired version of Switzerland, having had to play two rounds of extra time and two penalties, uh, how much that would have been a problem for them. So I think we do probably end up getting the game that will be better if not more like narratively dramatic uh but i'm with you also that i do not expect this one to be was it three nil in the final for spain that time i that will not be the case this time i mean like famous last words but i just i don't see that happening i think the big problem for italy is going to be spinazzola if he cannot play how Mm. they adjust to that and if he were fit, i think i would be pretty confident in saying that italy will, will get a result just because they have the goal scoring ability already but I think they've got attackers who will sort of take it to that next level and feel confident or comfortable with that amount of pressure Spain I I don't think have convinced me that they do and so I think I still lean towards Italy but I think it's going to be a pretty balanced pretty interesting game and I think a lot of it is going to come down to managers getting their tactics right and more specifically getting their adjustments right uh, as the game goes on. I'm not only leaning towards Italy, Taylor, I've fallen into the Italian side and I'm wearing one of those lovely grey blazers that Mancini was wearing now. I, because Dude, you're not alone. I Honestly, as I was watching that game, I was like, I, I kind of want one of those. They are so stylish. They look like, like 1960s cabin crew. It's like something on Mad Men looking at that bench. Like yeah. there was a guy, I, I, I know Viali was there looking pretty dapper. There was a gentleman, I, I'm not sure who it was, if, if you'll excuse me, but he had a headset on and sort of this grey hair and, and the thick rimmed glasses. He mm-hmm. looked like the most stylish man alive. And I was like, is he just a model? Have they just hired a model to sit behind Mancini? But they don't, they don't wrinkle. That's the thing. Even like when the, when the doctor came on and had his full suit on to to check on Spinazzola, I think it was, he he comes out and like that 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 suit jacket is is still pressed. It has kept its consistency. Mm. Sometimes you'll get the wrinkle if you've been sitting down and everything like that. No, they looked dapper and like they had just had like steam pressed suits. Uh, maybe they changed at halftime and put those on. Maybe that was the difference. But yeah, Italy looking good on and off the field for sure. Very much so. And I, my point there being that I very much will back them together. 
get to the final here because I, I feel like this is the point where Spain kind of get found out a little bit because they've got shortcomings, as I have described, and Italy yeah. are looking rather resplendent, Tay-Tay. Um, they, they absolutely are. I, you will get no arguments here. In all respects. Uh, so we have a couple more quarterfinals to deal with, Taylor, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Apparently, yeah, there's two games. I didn't realise there's another game apart from England <laughs> happening. At 12 Eastern, we've got the Czech Republic taking on Denmark yeah. in Baku. What are your thoughts on this one? I'm listening to other pundits and reading around these. No one seems to be able to put much between these two teams and sort of have a yeah. lean either way. I feel like Denmark have got a lot of momentum, but also this Czech Republic side... You know, they've got a lot of threats here. They've got, you know, very solid defensive midfield with Suchek and Hollis. They've got Schick, who has been excellent in this tournament. They could do some damage against Denmark here, right? Yes, I, I think a lot of the way... Yes, they could. My hesitation is that I think a lot of the coverage of this game that I have seen is rooted in not a lot of people thinking that the Czech Republic would go far, which is the case for us, but we have watched every one of their games and talked about it at length. And I think for Denmark, it's been Christian Eriksen's, uh like on-field health scare that he's recovered and then Denmark finding a way to make it to this point. But that has been the like they, the never say the never say quit narrative of Denmark has been the talking point. And so it's basically you're getting a team that has this obvious narrative and a team that hasn't maybe gotten as much coverage. And I think that's why a lot of pundits are like, this is pretty open. We don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And and I, I say all that to say I think it's going to be a really interesting game, especially through the midfield, because yeah. I think what we saw the Czech Republic do against the Dutch that really completely stymied them was to have uh, Suchek and Holish sitting on De Jong and Daron, and essentially the Dutch could not play through the middle. They had to go wide, and the Czechs were more more than okay with that. And I think they're probably going to do the same thing against Denmark, because we would expect them to have... That sort of pivot uh, that they've had with Hoiberg uh, and Delaney. So if you sit those two on those two, they're not going to be able to find the more creative options ahead. It necessitates Denmark going long. And so I think we're going to get a game, again, that's going to be pretty balanced, pretty even, and pretty kind of consistent in the way both teams play. And so that could mean boring, but it could also mean that we get... Uh, like overloads to one side because teams have to find a way to get some space to get some attacks going. But I won't be surprised if in the opening 15 minutes the narrative becomes like, oh, these two teams, like, should we have gotten a better team? It would be nice if we had a bigger team here. And I think that that is pretty unfair because both of these teams have performed throughout. I see that coming, and this one does have the faint whiff of extra time about it, Taylor. Yeah. Um, I will be watching and enjoying this game, but my mind not might not be entirely focused on it because I might be thinking of events later <laughs> yeah. on the 3 Eastern. We have, uh, where is this one? It's in Rome at the Stadio Olimpico. Uh, Ukraine taking on England, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay, I've got some things to say. Do you want to get the ball rolling on uh, how you think this one's going to go? I will uh, do some of the heavy lifting on Ukraine and then turn it over to you Go for ahead. England. Because uh, in their last game, Ukraine changed it up. They went with the back five. They were yep. theoretically in a 5-2-3, uh, which had uh, Sidorchuk and Stepanenko as your kind of two in the middle. But yep. what routinely would happen is those two would slide over to one side to prevent any uh, overloads. And then you would have uh, one of the wide attackers, usually Shaparenko, dropping in and being another midfielder. So you still had the numbers there, but you had the defensive stability. And then you could counterattack, usually through Alexander Zinchenko. Maybe they go back to like a 4-2-3-1 or something like that. But I would be surprised if they did because this approach worked for them last time round. So I think that's what they will 
will try to do is sort of clog the middle, have that pivot slide over to prevent any overloads or any imbalances, and then counterattack swiftly when the opportunity presents itself and try to get Zinchenko involved as much as possible. That is my read on Ukraine. And final note there, Artem Besseden, who was the recipient of that Danielson challenge against Sweden, uh, I think does not have... Uh, an ACL tear, but has enough damage that it's expected he will be out for a while, so he will not be playing in this game. Yeah, he is out, it appears. Um, yeah, I think I go along with the thing you said there, Tay-Tay. I think that they probably will persist with the system that worked for them in the last game. But that raises questions for me, because I don't know yep. whether England are going to match the system. I don't know mm-hmm. whether England were going to st- stick with the back three as they have done, or they're going to go back to a back four and do a 4-2-3-1. It feels like the sensible thing... To go back to a four-two-three-one, have Walker and Shaw, you know, Stones, Maguire, um, Phillips, uh, and um, it's not going to be Rice, is it? It would probably be Henderson because Rice is injured. I think. I think it might be Henderson partnering there, um, and then any combination of three players in front of them to go behind Harry Kane, <laughs> which I, I can't speculate on. I hope Jack Grealish gets a start in this one, though, no, because I think he's earned it, let's be honest there. And Raheem Sterling, of course, I hope he gets a start. And I suppose the most logical person to join him in that three would be Mason Mount. Uh, but he's... Yep. Mm, I, I don't know how many days he's been practicing with the team because he only just got out of having to listen to Ed Sheeran behind a wall um, a, a <laughs> matter of days ago, Taylor. So we'll see about that. Um but I could see them doing the four-two-three-one. But I could absolutely see Gareth Southgate throwing a curveball and doing the and doing the, a back three. And I, I, yeah. I, how do you feel? I don't. I, I can't. I, I just. I've thought about it too much. So I'm running around in circles in my head now. I, I think like my my gut feeling is that uh, if Southgate is being a bit more conservative and a bit more cautious because England are at the stage they're at, they're going to be the favorites. There's going to be expectation, but there's always that fear of overconfidence, overcommitting numbers, getting hit on the break. Now you're 1-0 down inside the first 20 minutes, and now you've got to chase, and you've got to change things up, and maybe you get stretched, and you don't want to be in that position. So I won't be surprised if he goes with the back three and more or less the exact same look, which yeah. means probably Jack Grealish on the bench. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Mason Mount coming in for uh, Sacco. Yeah. But, uh, but aside from that... So- Forgive me, Saka. I got that wrong. Uh, but Saka is the award they gave out to the worst team in the league. Exactly. I always do that. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> not for that reason, but I do tend to flip those. My mistake. But I think that would be the sort of more cautious route, which I think would be understandable because then you can get your footing, get those first 10 minutes, kind of like, uh, what, I guess, like acclimate to the game and then go from there. But I think you're right that if they go with a back four and if we do see Jack Grealish in the lineup, then I think that tells us that they're going for it and they're trying to make this a statement game and getting a result and winning in a comprehensive fashion. I don't think either one is necessarily wrong. Personally, I think Jack Grealish in the final 20 minutes against a tired defense yeah. seems to cause a lot of problems and I wouldn't mind him being used as an impact sub here. But I also think, to your point, he's been good enough to justify starting. So I think there's lots of options and I don't think any of them is necessarily wrong. It just depends on how Southgate starts and then adapts as the situation requires. Yeah, you've talked me around to Grealish being a 70th minute substitute, actually, because it feels like that's the kind of setup we were going into this tournament with, and I think that could very much be used here as well. I just can't figure out whether he's going to match the system or go back to a back four, because I can see advantages of both both systems, yeah. and he's going he's gonna to err on the side of, of caution of con- being a bit conservative here, because this is the Ukraine team who 
can get forward, who who are quite exciting going forward as well, and can be quite creative. You know, this is a Shevchenko who learned his trade in in Serie A, do, doing his thing. So I I think he's going to have a pretty balanced side as well. Oh, I'm t- I'm talking around in circles. I don't know, Taylor. I'm very excited about it. Well, though, is the point. Well, yeah. Let, let let's let's go with that then. Like that to me implies that you are nervous, and there's many many different options, and you're not quite sure what you want. Which is maybe a good place to be, because to me that says that like you're not trying to say this is what has to happen, and then they're yeah. going to win. It says to me that you are just excited to be here and optimistic and hopeful, but not saying it's this. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Which is part of the reason why I love you, Ryan Bailey. Oh, thanks, Taylor. I love you too. <laughs> I do think uh, I, I very I dislike being cocky about any of my teams when I am a, ahead of a game, but I do feel like I'm feeling good about this one. And yeah, you know I'm going to go for my run and listen to three lines in the morning, and that that will probably help help the team as it has done previously. So <laughs> we will see. Sorry, any Ukrainians listening out there, I'm going to go for a run. You can't do anything about it. How, how Ryan? How like how straight? Like we've heard Graham talk about Scotland not being there and how exciting it was just to be at a tournament. And yeah. uh, England have missed a couple, but for the m- most part, tend to be at uh, major competitions. But then it was what 2018 was the last time y'all have been in a semifinal in a, a decently long time that I can remember. Like, how are you feeling this time? Are you sort of is this like what you expected them to do? Like, if they lose here, are you going to be frustrated about it, or do you think they've had a good enough run so far that you feel optimistic about England overall? I feel uncharacteristically optimistic, Taylor. I think 2018 was quite an awakening for England in that we. Got a bit more self belief, and I know that English fans are, are deemed as arrogant with the whole three lines thing, but I'm not sure that I, I still feel that it's predominantly self deprecating. Before 2018, for like a decade, this was a team that played with fear, that were ponderous. You know, a bit like Spain now, a bit mm-hmm. like a bit like got lots of shortcomings yeah. in the back and the front, and now I feel like we're a bit like Spain before that. So I, I'm feeling, in some ways, that yeah. is, and I'm feeling. There is a, a bit of a sea change with the England team, a bit more belief and realisation, a bit more, you know, um, I think Gareth Southgate's provided a lot of stability, not just because he does things relatively conservatively, but, you know, he's he's very, he's, he's got a clean image. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, he, he doesn't get dragged through the tabloids and the tabloids and the media are such a big influence on this team as they are in, in the UK in general. And I think that the ingredients are there for success and, this tournament is also very a big, a big deal for England fans, particularly England fans of my age, Taylor, because Euro 96 was basically my awakening to soccer. That was when I got my wall chart and I filled it out every day. And it was also a home tournament in 96 as well. And we got to the semifinals of that one too. And it was, it was very much the, oh my God, I love this game and I want to talk about it forever moment for me. So there's there's an element of nostalgia for this in in, mm-hmm. in me and knowing that you know this this gets us back to Wembley winning this game as well so I, I'm very excited about it I'm cautiously optimistic as well I would say I like that and and I think that you like you make a good point about sort of like who England are and I'm not breaking any new ground here to say that like this is a team that yeah in past tournaments under Roy Hodgson and probably if Sam Allardyce had had uh, kind of persisted in charge you would have had a a very like late 90s early 2000s I feel like it would have been wide wide attackers crossing it in and big forwards running on and a, and a central partnership and maybe that's oversimplifying but I think Gareth Southgate has done a very smart job of 
keeping it simple, I mm-hmm. think, and sort of looking at the players at his disposal, recognizing who they play for at club level and who their managers are, knowing that they get so much instruction and so much training there as to how to play technical, attacking, free-flowing, fast-paced soccer, that you wouldn't then, excuse me, for your purposes of this conversation, football, um, <laughs> That you wouldn't then ask them to do something different. You wouldn't try to force them into your approach that you think works. You would look at them and try to find an approach that incorporates all their strengths and limits their vulnerabilities. And I think Gareth Southgate has done that to the extent he can. I think he's also younger and maybe, as you said, doesn't put himself in the spotlight, which means it's harder to hit him for like, oh, he's out there being all flashy and being high profile and demanding headlines. It's just sort of he's doing the job and it seems like keeping the team happy and giving them the instruction they need without overburdening them. And it it is just nice to see England being a, a... relatively to fully fun team yeah definitely and i i'm I, I say i'm cautiously optimistic but it would be very england for us to get this far in a tournament and then you know not show up against ukraine so that that is definitely a timeline that could uh, unfold hmm. on saturday maybe it has unfolded by the time people are listening to this podcast and if so i my hubris has been uh, <laughs> exposed but uh i i'm all the same i'm really looking forward to this game taylor um, yeah. this is this has been a wonderful wonderful tournament whatever happens to england and what happens happens to my interests in it so i'm i'm just glad that we've we've been along for the ride and uh and uh, i've been talking to you every day uh, r- right back at you buddy we've been going long why don't we yeah. wrap this one up um <laughs> taylor rockwell an absolute pleasure talking with you today sir Right, I got you, buddy. As always, we said we were going to go short, and then I did the opposite of that. That's why we love you. It's why people tune in. It's why they pay the big bucks to get into the Total Soccer Show Circus Tent, Tay Tay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My name is Ryan Bailey. We'll have a more expansive team for tomorrow's podcast. But for now, bye! <laughs>